Friends, I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's a topical type sermon. Basically, what we're preaching in this series is called ecclesiology. And ecclesiology is the study of the church, the ecclesia, ecclesiology. And uh, last week we talked about authority. And authority in the church starts with God, comes down through Jesus, through the Bible, the pastor, and then uh, also God's word. This week we talk about whom do I follow? And that's leadership and the two offices of the New Testament church. I was just sitting here thinking this morning, it's been 30 years now since God called me to be a pastor. So sometimes you think I might be wiser. I mean, it's been 30 years. I should have been paying a better attention. I should have character that looks more like Jesus. I should know the answer in every solution or situation. And uh, I should be absolutely perfect. But then you remember, oh wait, Aaron is Aaron. So he's a little flawed and not perfect. And I appreciate the fact that you love me for who I am, but that you want to support me as a pastor, that I can be more like Jesus. And I've experienced that in my going on 12 years here as your pastor. But I tell you what, as a pastor, you never know what a day is going to bring. You can ask uh, Becky Moore down here. Becky is our administrative assistant. When we hired her to the job a couple years ago, I said, Becky, you never know what's going to walk in these doors at the church. And she could probably testify to that. You know, Myra's been on staff with us for a while. And what's on the other end of the phone line when you pick it up? You just never know. Because life is not always pretty and people live life and sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it makes you shake your head and chuckle. Other times it makes you just absolutely want to fall on your face because you're crushed. So being a pastor is an interesting job. And the interesting thing to me, maybe, uh, well, this is a little trite, but how people treat a pastor. You can tell folks that hadn't been around a pastor much because they think they got to talk fancy. And they, they kind of go to their special English too. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, yeah. Well, here, pastor, let us get you a chair to sit on. Here. And they treat you like a child. Here, this is your chair. Sit down, pastor. And you're like, uh-huh. I'm a normal guy. You don't have to treat me like I'm going to break. So, pastor, tell us about Jesus. What do you want to know about Jesus? I mean, some folks just talk to you like you're dumb because you're a pastor. They get all plastic. Then other folks, and I've told you before about this one because I love this guy. This member of my church, a previous church I served that, I mean, I knew the man was a smoker because anytime you're around him, he smelled like smoke. Like I've said, smelling like or smoking doesn't send you to hell. It just makes you smell like you've been there. And so this fellow, I go to visit him one day and I knock on his door. And his door, he's got a screen door that opens that way. And, you know, his interior door opens this way. Well, he opens a door and he sees that it's me. I notice he's got a cigarette in his right hand. So he opens that screen door, holds it with his uh, shoulder behind his back. He passes the cigarette to his left hand, grabs my hand and kind of pulls me into the house as he flicks the cigarette out in the yard. So I won't see it, even though I'm walking into a cloud of smoke. <laughs> hey, pastor, good to see you. So glad you're here. And I'm like, man, that was a pretty clever ditching of the cigarette. But you know, your yard is dead and brown because it's Texas in August. And I hope you didn't just set it on fire. 
On the other hand, you get folks that are friendly to you because you're a pastor and they want to give you things. I will never forget, I'm making visits in South Africa when I was a missionary. And I knock on the door of this little uh, shack. And you really didn't knock. You just said, knock, 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 because there wasn't much to knock on. So I said, knock, 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 even though I tried to knock a little bit. And the guy invites me in. Oh, come in, come in, come in. I go in, and there's a different kind of smoke there. He had been smoking the stuff that some people think is a little more natural, that we know is worse for you and addictive. And I come into his house. I said, maybe we should visit outside. He says, no, I'm just smoking. He said, you want some? No, thanks. Not for me. I'm not taking that stuff in my body. That would just not be good. But people treat you all sorts of different ways because you're a pastor. But we're not here for me to tell you stories. We could do that. We want to try to gain today a biblical understanding of who a pastor and a deacon are and what God has called them to do and how they function in our church. So this sermon is not about, I'm a pastor, you need to listen to me, and these are deacons, you need to do what they say. Not at all. This sermon is about the backgrounds for our church leaders as set out by the New Testament. So what I've asked you to do is turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, and if you've got your copy of God's Word, whether that's a paper copy or an electronic copy, if you'd stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word, we have a lot of scriptures we're going to read today, but this will be our key text, and Uh, We'll start from here and launch out. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 13. I'm reading from the New International Version. It says, Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle. Not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Number five, verse five. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Verse 8, deacons likewise are to be men worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Verse 11, in the same way their wives, and it's best translated in Greek in the same way the women, are to be women worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. Verse 12, a deacon must be the husband of but one wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, our Father, as we open Scripture, we ask that you'd open our hearts in our minds, that as we study this morning, you'd speak to us, and we would know who you've called us to be, and what you've called us to do. And Father, we know that being, or excuse me, doing flows from being, so as we consider scripture about what it means to be a pastor and a deacon, would you speak to those of us that fulfill those roles, but also those you may be calling to those roles. And of course, all of those who belong to this church family. So we have a biblical understanding of those roles. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So the first thing you notice when you read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, says a trustworthy saying. Well, in other words, this is good stuff. Pay attention to it. If anyone sets his heart on the task of being an overseer, he desires noble task. Now, you're first of all going now, wait a second, I thought you said this was about pastors. I don't see the word pastor there. Now, your translation may use the word pastor, but the Greek word there is the word for overseer. But what we find out when we look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and we'll get there in a minute, that the word overseer, elder, and pastor are used interchangeably in the New Testament. And it's just easiest for us to stick with one term, and that's why we use the most common term in modern-day America, pastor. So these are interchangeable, and we'll make that case on point 1.3 in just a moment. So we're talking about a pastor here, and it says that the pastor must be above reproach. I hadn't thought much about what the word reproach meant until I had a young associate pastor that served under me that did some things that all of you would go, um, no, no, Maddie should do that, and particularly not a pastor. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but all of us here would be clear that it was wrong. Even if you were not a believer in Jesus and call it a sin, if you were just a regular moral person, you would say, that's wrong. And so this young pastor did those sort of things, and uh, I I went to study in a little deeper than I did before. And even just the etymology of the word reproach, it means to bring blame, shame, or disgrace. And before he fully admitted his sin to me and how he had then tried to cover it up, I was talking to him about that. If nothing else... We can say, based on what's gone on here, that you have brought blame, shame, and disgrace to the name of Jesus and to our church. Brother, you're going to have to step down as our associate pastor. Never a conversation you want to have, but what he had done was so grievous, we had to have that conversation. So, a pastor must be above reproach. Yes, we're fallible, we're going to do things that are wrong, But we should not have a lifestyle of one that brings blame, shame, or disgrace to Jesus and his church. That pastor should be the husband of but one wife. There is that question, one wife now or one wife ever? And that's a topic for another sermon. Because there's opinions on either way and I don't have time for that today. Temperate. You know what that means without even having to define it. Somebody who's even-keeled and thoughtful. Self-controlled is somewhat synonymous with temperate. Respectable. Everybody knows what it means to be be respectable. Hospitable. uh, You know, uh, entertaining others and having some joy in that. It may not be your giftedness as a pastor, but you have got to have that ability to do that. Able to teach. Now, we'll come back and talk more about this one later in the sermon, but that is a key hallmark of a pastor. We see it here. We see it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as well, that a hallmark of a pastor is the ability to teach and, of course, teach God's Word. Because the word there used for teach is not just any word used for teach. It's used specifically in the New Testament for teaching Christian doctrine. And so it means to teach Christian doctrine. Not given to drunkenness. Now, there's some debate about should a pastor or a deacon be able to drink alcohol. And I would say, show me in the Bible where it says you can't drink alcohol because I haven't found it. It just says you shouldn't be drunk. Personally, I choose not to drink so as not to be a stumbling block to anyone. But I can't argue that um, you should not drink at all. It's not there. 
Not violent, but gentle. I um, would have to confess that I'm not a violent person, but I do have my moments where I get angry. Can I get an amen from my children? (laughs) If you're a parent, maybe you're going, yeah, I've done that before too. But a pastor's character, he should not be one that is known for his violence. Not quarrelsome. Uh, depending on the topic and depending on how I'm feeling, I can be quarrelsome. Oh, Lord, Jesus, help me. Not a lover of money. What a temptation for all of us. And we need to keep in mind it's not just money itself, but it's possessions and stuff that as a pastor, a person shouldn't be, or a pastor shouldn't be consumed with those things. And then you have this interesting fart in verse 4. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. You've got more of this in Titus chapter 1, but what does that mean and how do you handle that if a pastor has children that become rebellious and do bad things? Does that disqualify that man from being a pastor because of the choices of his children? And at what age does that change? Is it, you know, when they're under the age of 13, it's okay. When under the age of 18, it's okay. But once they're, or, you know, once they're older than eight, or or not okay, excuse me. But once they're out of the house or something, it's okay then because they're an adult making their own decisions. That's one of those things the Bible's not clear on. And again, we don't have enough time to deal with it today. But one thing I need to say to you this morning. This morning's sermon ought to raise for you maybe more questions than it gives you more answers. And that's Okay. Because you know what? If you are a believer in Jesus, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. You can go do some study. You don't need to just listen to what this guy says from up here. You can search out for yourself and seek your own understanding and ask the Holy Spirit to help you with a question like that. What about the children's obedience? And then it says in summary, if anyone does not manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? Verse 6, he can't be a recent convert or may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. Um, You all have probably met the guy that's a pastor that's smarter than everybody else and wants to make sure you know it. And sometimes those guys are recent converts. Sometimes those guys just haven't grown up. Hopefully, you don't get that feeling from a pastor. Verse 7, he must have a good reputation with outsiders. And there's a so that. He won't fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. A pastor should be one that other people go, yeah, he's a good guy. It shouldn't be the talk in the community that this pastor is somebody you should stay away from. You don't want to trust this guy. Or this guy doesn't have friends as far as neighbors and folks in the community and the businesses around. A pastor should be one that by his character... Other folks who are not believers of Jesus or members of other churches accept him and have a good reputation for him. So that's about a overseer, also a pastor, verses 1 through 7. But notice verses 8, 9, and 10 are about deacons. Verses 8, 9, and 10 speak to us about deacons, and that's the second office of the New Testament. We'll begin to make that case more as we go along. But deacons, likewise, it says, are to be men worthy of respect. So just like pastors, they're to be sincere. 
That means without any wax, literally is what that means. And otherwise, you can look at their life and you can say, this guy is the real deal. There's no cracks in this guy's life. Remember, that was taken sinaceri, meaning without wax, because there's a certain type of pottery they'd hold up and see if there was a crack in it by holding it up to the light, because they could put wax on it to kind of buff it out. But when you held it up to the light, it would uh, show if there was a crack. And so it's saying that a deacon is a man who although we know is not going to be perfect, is a guy that has good character, character that you can depend on, that he should not indulge in much wine, not pursue dishonest gain. We don't have to describe what that kind of dishonest game looks like, but think about it. That could be even something small, even cheating his business out of some time or that sort of thing. Dishonest. Verse 9, they must hold... Keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, this one, when you look at it, you go, wow, that's kind of interesting to say about a deacon. If deacons are to serve the church, like we see in Acts chapter 6, they're to keep hold of the truths, deep truths of the church with a clear conscience. In other words, that means a deacon should know what he believes and why he believes it. That means a deacon's got to have a head on his shoulders. That means a deacon's have to have studied God's word. And I'm the first to tell you, speaking for our deacons, that they would probably say they don't know everything. Because, man, can I get an amen, fellas? There's a whole lot to know about the Bible. I'll never forget the first time I went into the library at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, where I went. This library is as big as a football field, right? And uh, three stories tall with books on it. You get up on that third floor, because the other floors have, you know, different um, rooms in them, and they're broken up. But you go up to that third floor, it is one gigantic football field full of books. At the time, I don't know if it still is, it was the world's largest Protestant theological library. And literally, man, you could like stand in that aisle and look down through those stacks of books, and the person on the other end looked like an ant. I mean, that library was that big. You could read all those books in that library at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and you'd still have something to learn about Jesus and still have something to learn about His Word. So friends, don't be discouraged by what you don't know. Do what you do know. Can I get an amen on that? But deacons are to know their stuff. It says there that he, uh, verse uh, 10, they must be tested. And if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. And we do that. We examine our deacons. You all nominate deacons when it comes that time of year. We put out a form. You say, I think this guy would be a good deacon. We call up those guys and we say to them, hey, would you consider serving as a deacon? If they say yes, we'd consider. We send them a questionnaire that's pretty detailed about their life and about their uh, business and uh, about their spiritual gifts and their service in the church. And then if they pass the questionnaire, so to speak, we call them in and we grill them. Um, sometimes harder than others. And it might be a little uncomfortable for a guy, but it needs to be because Scripture says we're supposed to do it. Examine them. And then if they're found worthy, they get to serve as a deacon. Now, verse 11 is interesting. You remember, it's been almost, what, three and a half years ago now, I preached a sermon on the role of uh, women, not a sermon, a sermon series on the role of women in the church. And it's interesting here in verse 11 that my NIV and your Bible may get it wrong. I have a little footnote, E, that says deaconesses, but that's wrong as well. Because when you read in verse 11, it says in the same way their wives are to be women worthy of respect. That's not what it says in the Greek. Sometimes interpreters, because they're afraid of who's paying them, the Bible publisher, 
or culture will sometimes use a word that's an accurate word, but the shade of meaning is a little bit different. So the actual Greek word there is gune, wife or women. But it can be translated as wives based on the context. And because this one, verse 11, is a bit of a theological sticky wicket, the translators of the New International Version chose to use the word wives, which is within their right, um, but it's not completely accurate. My understanding is the best uh, translation of this is their women. And so what this is talking about is ladies who are deacons. I wouldn't use the word deaconesses because deaconess is not in the Scripture. But there is examples from Scripture that ladies are deacons or can be deacons, and that's what this is talking about. And if you notice, the list is very parallel, although shorter than what you see in verse 8, 9, and 10 of men that are deacons. Look at what it says. Worthy of respect, not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. You may have even heard a sermon in the past where the pastor talked about, here's what a deacon should be, verse uh, 8, 9, 10, and here's what his wife should be, verse 11. But that's not it in my understanding. It's a lady that's a deacon and how she should be known by her character. Verse 12 shifts back to the man that's a deacon because how do we know? It says a deacon must be the husband of but one wife. Must manage his children and household well, similar to a pastor. And then verse 13, the summary. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, friends, if you listen to all this and you got that little space on your outline there, what are you going to write down? <laughs> That's up to you. Good luck with that. But we need to turn the page to Titus. If you're in 1 Timothy, turn over a couple pages to Titus chapter 1. Titus chapter 1 speaks to us specifically then about an elder, which also is an overseer, is a pastor. Now, for whatever reason, Titus doesn't talk about deacons. Uh, Paul was writing to Titus, and so Titus had an assignment having to do with elders. It says, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So Crete is an island. There's multiple towns there. Apparently, multiple churches had been established there, and they needed elders in every town, and that was Titus's job. And then Paul goes on to describe in a list that's somewhat parallel to what we have there in 1 Timothy 3... An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer, now you see there, he switched words on you. So that's one more place where we see that these words are like uh, synonyms, cognates. So he went from elder to overseer, but he's talking about the same person, not a different type. And then an overseer is entrusted with God's work. He must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable. Heard that one before. One who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the truth message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine. Part of what a pastor does is teach and refute those who oppose it. So you see there... In, first, uh, in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9, a parallel list with some differences in the shades of meaning, but saying that this is the character and some of the responsibility of a pastor. Now, you're there. Let's go to First Peter. So again, turn a few more pages to your right. All right? So you're going to get through the book of Hebrews, through the book of James, and get to First Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5. 
Now, this is the key passage for tying these three words, elder, overseer, and pastor, together. Let me read it to us first. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who will share in the glory to be revealed. So he's writing to elders, right? Then he says, be shepherds. So that's a noun, and that's where we get our word pastor from. Be shepherds of the flock that is under your care, serving as overseers. So see, already in those two verses, he's writing to elders, telling them to shepherd and serve as an overseer. All three words talking to the same person. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples of the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of glory that will never fade away. So did you see it there? This is where we see that these three different titles apply to the same person. An elder, an overseer, a pastor. They're all the same person. When you look in Ephesians, and you can just write that one down, Ephesians 5, 11, and 12, it says that God gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. That may be recognized as a list of offices in the church, and there are certainly some churches that even today will ordain people as prophets. I have an African-American friend who his church calls him prophet, fill in the blank with his name. I'm not going to name it for you. You know, I have uh, a friend in Africa who his title in his church is evangelist, fill in the blank his name. Because his church believes that this list in Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 is offices in the church. I don't believe that. I believe we've got two, pastors and deacons, the way I'm preaching it here. I believe these are spiritual gifts that are given to any in the church and certainly A pastor could have the gift of pastoring, but may not. He might have other spiritual gifts. He could have the gift of an evangelist, but may not. He could have other gifts. But what we see here, and summarized in 1 Peter 5, verse 1 and 4, is that a pastor has two major functions in the church. And you might write this one down, because this is a short one you can write down there. A pastor should teach and exercise authority over the congregation. Teach and exercise authority over the congregation. Now, what I didn't tie in, and we'll get to a little bit later, is 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's not referenced there. I'll tell it to you. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, you can write down that reference now, is a key verse that says, here's what an elder does. And it says that a pastor or elder should teach and exercise authority over the congregation. So elders should be servant-hearted in their pastoral leadership. Uh, or, excuse me, pastors should have godly character that you recognize. And I wrote myself a note here and let me see what I'm went. Where did I go? What am I talking about? I'm going to skip that because I don't even know what I'm talking about. The pastor should be able to teach, but he should also be honest when he makes a mistake. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Amen. I don't know that I made a mistake, but I need you to go to Acts chapter 6 to help me out here. Acts chapter 6, your fourth scripture here. Now you're going, whoo, pastor, I'm looking at my watch. I know you're going to have to get us out of here. How are you going to land this thing? I'll tell you. 
Um, this part of the sermon, because it's dealing with the scriptures, has more to it than the next part of the sermon, right? So hang on, we're going to be just fine, I think. Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing. So this is the very beginning of the church. People were getting saved, getting baptized like crazy, man. And so the Grecian Jews, so these were Jewish people uh, uh, that were Greek, that had converted to Judaism. Among them complained about the Hebraic Jews. So these are the Jews that were always Jewish. They were born Jewish, but also practiced Judaism. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So you got multiple layers of society and culture going on here, right? Because now this is talking about the church. These are all people that are believers in Jesus. But before they were believers in Jesus, some of them were Jewish in their religious practice, but had been born Gentile or like Greek. Greek was what they spoke. Others of them were Jewish in their religious practice, but had been born Jewish, Hebrew, okay? So now you've got these people from these various backgrounds that are saved and are members of the same church. And guess what? Folks are looking at each other and not treating them quite the same. It'd be a little bit like, you know, we got Pastor Angel and Vanessa and Zuri here, which is pretty cool. We'll talk more about that before we leave today. It'd be a little bit like if we had half of our church was Hispanic folks and half of us were English-speaking folks, and the English-speaking folks showed favoritism to other English-speaking folks and didn't treat the Hispanic folks like they belong in the church and the kingdom of God too. That's wrong. We know it's wrong. That's what was happening here, right? And so these folks say, hey, this ain't right. Verse 2, so the 12, that is the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word in order to wait on tables, brothers. So they knew that their job was to teach scripture to the believers in Jesus. They said, it's not going to be right if we do that. He says, so brothers, choose seven men from among you who you know to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn over this responsibility to them. Now, it's interesting in this passage of Scripture, the word deacon is not used, but that's what they're talking about. How do we know? By what comes on in the following chapters in Acts, where you hear these men called deacons. Verse 4, what's it say there? And it says, and we will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. So again, when we look at not just one Scripture, but a variety of Scriptures... We get the different pieces to the puzzle that here's the character of a pastor. Here's the character of a deacon. Here's some of the roles of a pastor. Here's some of the roles of a deacon. Here are the boundaries for a pastor. He should do this. He shouldn't do that. Here are the boundaries for a deacon. He should do this and shouldn't do that. And then we have another scripture here that says pastors should pray. Pastors should teach. Deacons should serve. And if you're going to write down um, uh, in Acts chapter 6, 1, 4 on your notes right there, you might be, that's the bottom line of that one, that pastors, deacons are to serve, meet physical needs, where pastors are to seek to meet spiritual needs. So we spend a lot of time talking about these four different key scriptures, and there's others I've alluded to, in order to get to the next part. Point number two, and I know you're going, okay, we're finally on somewhere with some blanks for me to fill in. Boys and girls, it's time to pay attention again, all right? You got blanks to fill in. Adults too. So the first one, 2.1 there, the similarities of pastors and deacons is a blameless reputation. The first similarity is a blameless reputation. You heard that in particular in 1 Timothy 
um, chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, the blameless reputation of pastors and deacons. That's similar. Now, unfortunately, if I were to ask you, have you known of a pastor or deacon that had a blameful, blame, uh, less than blameless reputation? Would you raise your hand? If you were listening, you'd probably all raise your hand, right? You might not want to raise your hand because you are embarrassed about it. When you've known a pastor that's had a moral failure, when you've known a deacon that's had a moral failure, we've had them right here in this church. And it puts the church in a very difficult situation to say, this guy did these things that are sinful and wrong, and they're against what Scripture says ought to be the character of a pastor and deacon. How do we handle this? Well, you handle that based on Scripture. Matter of fact, we'll talk about that in two weeks. Next week, we talk about membership. Two weeks from now, we talk about unity. And part of unit, well, membership talks about accountability. But part of unity is what you do when there's disunity and what you do when there's sin. And how do you confront that in the body? That, yes, it might not be an easy conversation, but it's a conversation that needs to be had to say, this is wrong, this is sinful, and you've disqualified yourself from serving the church in this manner. It might not be something our modern day and time people want to do, but it's in Scripture and we've got to do it. Point number two there is the manager of their home. Pastors and deacons should be similar in that they should manage their home well. This doesn't mean they're going to be perfect. This certainly doesn't mean they won't have an amazing cooperation with their wife, uh, who's probably a gifted, godly lady herself. But it means that you ought to be able to look at them and see that, yeah, they're, they're doing all right. One thing I love about our church is that our church doesn't treat my children any differently as pastor's kids. There's some church, churches that I know, they always talk about PKs, pastor's kids. Some of you grew up as pastor's kids, didn't you? At least a few of you are growing up as pastor's kids now. I know Benjamin's in the nursery, so, I mean, you know, he's not real rebellious. He's just one. But my kids, and that you guys don't treat my kids any different than any other kids because they're pastor's kids, and nor do you treat our deacon's children any different. Children are children. Can I get an amen? And we need to love them all and teach them all and point them all to God's Word, even the pastor's kids, maybe especially the pastor's kids. But thank you for treating my kids like kids. Let's move on to the third point there. 2.3 is godly character. This is a summary statement, I know, but when you look at what it said there in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, uh, it's clear that the pastor should have character, that anybody who looks at him goes, this guy is not just a good guy, he's a godly guy. And as I've admitted, yeah, I'm going to have my moments, I'm going to have my sins, I'm going to have my failures. But that my godly character might show when I realize I've offended you, I say, I'm sorry I offended you. When I realize I've sinned against you, I say, will you forgive me for sinning against you? And you see my humility that demonstrates my character. That's to be the same set of deacons or any pastor. There should be godly character. 2.4 is spiritual maturity. Now, we know we're all in different places as we learn and we grow, but keep in mind, spiritual maturity is not just your knowledge of the Bible. Maturity doesn't have to do with your age and doesn't have to do with your knowledge. Maturity has to do with your wisdom, and maturity has to do with your humility. Can I get an amen? You need to see from your leaders in your church wisdom and humility. That no matter whether I'm in my 40s or as a pastor, 
or we have a deacon in his 20s. For a man in his 20s, he ought to demonstrate wisdom. He ought to demonstrate humility. And we'd expect the same, certainly, from our deacons in their 70s or 80s, that they demonstrate wisdom and they demonstrate humility. And their hallmark of their life is spiritual maturity. 2.5 on your outline. Plurality and leadership. Now, we haven't gone into depth with this one, but what you see in the use of plurals in 1 Timothy 3.8, 1 Timothy 1.5, 1 Peter 5, is that there are more than one deacon serving in a church, and generally more than one elder or pastor serving in a church as well. We don't have the model here where there are some elders that are pastors, but some elders that are not pastors. But there are many churches that have a board of elders or a plurality of elders. And one of them might be the teaching pastor as an elder, but others are godly men called that are elders as well. And you see that as a similarity, that there's a plurality in leadership. Now let's get to point number three on your outline. I told you we'd speed up a little bit, so here we are, right? We're going fast. Differences of pastors versus deacons. 3.1 is teaching versus well-taught. Teaching versus well-taught. Now, this is a broad generality. This doesn't mean that a deacon can't teach. And I am thankful that we have teaching deacons. Are you thankful for that? Maybe one of them is your Sunday school teacher, right? Maybe you've sat under one of them in a Bible study. Maybe just sitting across the table from them or in a living room with them. They have taught you God's Word. But in general, a hallmark characteristic is that a pastor should be able to teach and a deacon has received that teaching so much so that it has changed his life to be more like Jesus that he's willing to serve you. So that's a broad generality, and you see that backed up in our scriptures, 1 Timothy 3 in particular. 3.2 on your outline is oversight versus service. Oversight versus service. What do we mean there? Is that a pastor is charged with overseeing the church, having authority of the church, where a deacon is charged with and very even was created for Acts 6, created for serving the church. Now, that doesn't mean a pastor won't serve. I mean, um, you know, somebody's moving. I got the time. I'm going to go and help move things as well, right? We're having a church work day here. I'm going to come, and uh, I'm kind of notorious for running the um, blower, aren't I? I hate dirty sidewalks in a dirty parking lot, man. So everybody else gets out there and makes the mess. I fire up the blower, and I... That's what I do for like an hour, Yeah, but I serve. But my main job is oversight. And deacons certainly could serve on one of our committees where they have some authority. A deacon could be the leader of a ministry team. A deacon could be a Sunday school teacher where he has authority in the church. But in general, the main job of a deacon is to serve the church. And what does that look like? Well, yeah, they might help you move. They might mow your lawn. They might come and just be your friend. How do you need a deacon to serve you? That's how they can serve. That's their hallmark. And then 3.3, shepherding versus practical doing. Now, do not put your outlines up after you fill in the last blanks. You notice there's two more points there, and you get to kind of make up your own blank there so you can be creative and freewheel. But 3.3, shepherding versus practical doing. A pastor's job, like his name, is to shepherd. Pastor, like pastoral, means to shepherd. 
Some of us do it better than others. Based on our giftedness, based on our personality, based on our experience. But here's what I'll tell you. Matter of fact, I'll ask you, not tell you. If you feel like me or Pastor David aren't doing the job we need to do to shepherd you, would you just kindly tell us? Or invite us to your home to visit. And you don't necessarily have to say, I don't feel like you've been shepherding me. You just invite us and you just see how we can shepherd, right? Maybe you do want to say, I feel like you failed me, Pastor. And if you feel that way, you need to let us know. Because friends, far be it from us to have a relationship with you where you don't feel like we've done what we could and you needed in your life to help shepherd you to be more like Jesus. But the fact is our church is big enough where we can't be every place at every time and for every person at every time. There's sometimes when people get all mad. Oh, pastor wasn't so-and-so, so-and-so, and and the pastor wasn't there. And I'm like, "Um, excuse me, I'm the pastor and the pastor didn't know. If I don't know, I can't be there. So sometimes you just need to say, hey, somebody's having surgery. Now, if I know and I wasn't there, but I didn't call you, shame on me. But anything in your life, let us know. Communicate with us. Please don't think that the pastor is so high up that you can't talk to him. Man, we're regular Joes like you. We just happen to be called to be pastors. And you need to talk to us. Same thing with your deacons. You know, you could fuss and say, well, I hadn't heard from my deacon. Well, you know, the phone works both ways. You can call him. Hey, deacon so-and-so, how are you? Let me tell you what's going on in my life. Would you pray for me about that, deacon so-and-so? I guarantee you he will. He'll be humbled, and he will. So let's move to point number four on your outline, the roles of pastors versus deacons. That one has pretty much already been explained, right? When we look back at those things, the, the role of a pastor is to teach and exercise leadership. The role of the deacon is to serve the body of believers. Very simple. The role of a pastor is to teach and exercise leadership. The role of a deacon is to serve the body of believers. A deacon's ministry is a ministry of a towel. It's a ministry of serving with loving compassion. And I just looked at my watch and, whew, I need to stop, don't I? Sometimes a sermon's like a loaf of bologna. You just got to cut it off, right? I had a little bit more to say, but I don't need to say any more. So uh, this is a terrible conclusion. God bless you. I had a funny story I can tell you, but I'll tell you some other time, right? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, I thank you so much that even on subjects that may not be or may not seem as applicable to our immediate life that we can take the time and study. Because it is important that we know how you intended a church to work. And we know what you intended of the men and women who serve our church. And we can see in Scripture what you said in order that we can follow it. So, Father, thank you for the time to study your word. Thank you for the Scriptures that tell us here's, who, uh, here's the type of person you should have and here's the sort of things they should do so that we can see clearly the order that you've given to our church to be served by pastors and deacons. So God, we pray, of course, if there's anyone here that has never trusted Christ as their Savior that would say, I'm a sinner and I need to repent and turn from those sins and confess my faith and Jesus is my Savior and Lord, that they would come do that right now when I say amen and talk to me. Any of the rest of us, God, whatever decision we need to make, would we do it now in Jesus' name, amen.